When I was in high school, I ran a couple short seasons with the track team, and there were a lot of things that I learned. One of the things that I learned is that I am a lot slower than I thought that I was. I was slower than most other people on the track. In fact, I can only ever remember passing one person in a race. So I wasn't the slowest person on the track. But on a more positive note, I learned through those track seasons uh, how to become a better runner, how to train, and I learned how to start a race well. So if you've ever watched a track meet in person or uh, been to the, you've seen the Olympics on TV or something like that, you've probably noticed that in short distance races, like the 100 meter sprint, you may have noticed that the runners begin the race crouched down with their legs behind themselves and their feet on what are referred to as starting blocks. And when the race begins, they push off those starting blocks and they sprint to the finish as quick as they can. In a matter of seconds, the race is over. But it's those, those first seconds that determine how the rest of the race is going to go. They make all the difference because how a runner takes their first steps off those starting blocks is crucial to setting their strides and their pace for the rest of the race. A great coach in England was talking about a time when one of his runners started a race and he knew, he knew after that runner took the first two steps that he had already lost. He said, it's like the butterfly effect. You make one little mistake at the start and it'll filter through the whole 100 meters. So what did that coach do? He took that athlete and they just practiced how to come off the starting blocks, how to take those first steps the right way. And when the athlete finally got that down, he became successful, became a world champion. But it all starts with taking the right first steps in the race. I bring this up because there's a similar principle in our lives spiritually, believers. When God calls and commands us to do something in our lives as Christians, we need to avoid resisting those commands and that call. And instead, we need to be willing to take those first steps in faith and go where God is leading us. Even when he's leading us to something that we see as difficult or dangerous, or maybe uncertain to us, those first steps of faith will prove crucial to seeing God's will fulfilled in our lives. Now, to show you what I mean, let's all turn together to Joshua chapter 3, verse 1 this morning. So if you have a Bible, I'd encourage you to turn there to Joshua chapter 3. If you don't have a Bible with you, I'd encourage you to use one of the Bibles under the seats in front of you. If you would like to use one of those, you can turn to page 171. Page 171. As you turn there in Joshua chapter 3, we are finally going to see the nation of Israel enter into the promised land. There were battles that they were going to engage in. There was a land for them to divide. There was this long journey in this new place. They were about to enter into the promises of God, but it was all going to begin when they took those first steps of faith. Let's look together in verse 1. It says this. Early in the morning, Joshua and all the Israelites set out from Shittim and went over to the Jordan, where they camped before crossing over. After three days, the officers went throughout the camp, giving orders to the people. 
When you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God and the Levitical priests carrying it, you are to move out from your positions and follow it. Then you will know which way to go, since you have never been this way before. But keep a distance of about 2,000 cubits between you and the ark. Do not go near it. Let's just wait right here for just a moment. Keep your place in Joshua chapter 3. Here the Israelites were. So close to the promised land, they could just see it on the other side of the Jordan River. A centuries of anticipation, decades of wandering in the wilderness, and now they were on the very brink. And then they waited three more days, just waiting for God to tell them to move. I don't know about you, but it can be difficult when our patience is tested, when we're so excited to do something, and then we have to wait. Now, the Israelites, though, they were wise to be patient. After all, in Numbers chapter 14, we read about a time when their ancestors were impatient. They tried to go into the land when God was not commanding them to do that. Because God did not go with them, they suffered loss. So, right now, they were wise to wait. And believers, have you ever been in a place or a time in your life when you knew you knew what God wanted you to do? To do, he, he convicted you of something important and then it seemed like everything came to a standstill. Have you ever been there? Uh, he convicted you to share the gospel with that person. Then all of a sudden, they're hard to track down. He, he calls you to a career, but there are no open doors for it. He calls you to an area of service and then sickness seems constant in your life. And his will is very clear, but it seems very far off. Have you ever felt that? Uh, I still remember... I remember when I knew I was sure that God had called me to ministry, that I was in seminary, and I had several people tell me, well, you know, you just need to realize after you graduate, you're probably going to have to wait several years before you have the chance to step into the role as a pastor somewhere. And I remember thinking, well, that might be true for you. It's not going to be my story. God called me to this. When I graduate, you'll see, I'll be in a church right away. But then God had me wait. And sometimes... We, we know what His will and His purposes are for us. And then sometimes we find that we're, we're waiting for things to fall into place. And I can only imagine it was a, a long three days of anticipation for the Israelites as they waited. And then, then God gives them the beginning of His plans for their situation. They weren't going to make a long journey around the Jordan River to get into the promised land. They weren't going to build boats and ferry thousands and thousands of Israelites across. They weren't going to try and swim or wade across the river either. As we'll soon find in the text, the waters of the Jordan River, they were at flood stage right here in Joshua chapter 3. This wasn't some calm body of water you could leisurely pass over. This wasn't a lazy river that they were at. The waters flowed swift. The floods made the river deeper and wider than it was at other seasons. You see, this was the obstacle that stood in their way, and they knew that. They spent three days staring at it, just wondering what was going to happen next. And I think that's one reason why God has us wait sometimes, believers. I think that's why He sets obstacles right in front of our eyes with no foreseeable workaround, no foreseeable solution. Because only when we see see something as impossible, can we truly recognize when God does something miraculous? 
The question, though, is what, what do we do during those times of waiting? Those times when we're just waiting for God's purpose to really begin. What do we do? Here's a quote that's been attributed to Winston Churchill that he once spoke of this. That special moment, he said, when a person is figuratively tapped on the shoulder and offered the chance to do a very special thing, unique to him, fitted to his talents. Churchill said, what a tragedy if that moment finds him unprepared or unqualified for the work which would have been his finest hour. See, in the same way, there are these times when God calls us to something, and then he seems to delay the fulfillment of this mission or purpose. And another reason I believe the Lord allows us to wait to see the fulfillment of these things is because what we see as his delay is actually supposed to be a time of preparation. The problem is that sometimes, because of the wait, we fall away into selfish pursuits. We completely forget about what God has been calling us to. We give up. We become impatient. Instead, we should be preparing for his purposes. And Israel had three more days to prepare for what God had next for them. As they did prepare, they could rely on God. You see, the Jordan River, keep in mind, was not the only obstacle standing in their way. They were about to go to a brand new place, an unknown land. They were going to need guidance. This wasn't going to be like the previous journeys that they had taken. So where were they going to look for that guidance? I mean, God had given them a great leader in Joshua, that's true. But first and foremost, Joshua and the nation of Israel needed to look to God. He was the one who was going to be their guide. And to remind them of this, to remind them that he would go before them, God was going to take them right through the Jordan River. That's how he was going to do it. This is why the Ark of the Covenant went first. The Ark of the Covenant was made during Israel's time in the wilderness. It symbolized the very presence of God. The Israelites knew that. They understood that's what the Ark was all about. In fact, listen to what Numbers chapter 10 tells us. This was back when Moses was still leading the Israelites. Numbers 10.35 says this. It says, Whenever the ark set out, Moses said, Rise up, O Lord. May your enemies be scattered. May your foes flee before you. Whenever it came to rest, he said, Return, O Lord, to the countless thousands of Israel. So you see, the people understood that when the ark went out, that meant that God was going out with them. His presence was before them. They were supposed to treat it as such, with awe and reverence, with admiration. Keep a healthy distance between you and the holy God who is delivering you. But the point is that God would be their guide. And believers, when God says to us that the time has come to step out in faith into his purposes, we need to trust him to be our guide. That he will be there. And he will go before us. The Israelites needed to realize that too. Let's look at verse 5. Joshua told the people, Consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things among you. Joshua said to the priests, Take up the Ark of the Covenant and pass on ahead of the people. So they took it up and went ahead of them. And the Lord said to Joshua, Today I will begin to exalt you in the eyes of all Israel, so that they may know that I am with you, as I was with Moses. Tell the priests who carry the Ark of the Covenant, when you reach the edge of the Jordan's waters, go and stand in the river. 
And Joshua said to the Israelites, Come here and listen to the words of the Lord your God. This is how you will know that the living God is among you, and that he will certainly drive out before you the Canaanites, Hittites, Hivites, Perizzites, Girgashites, Amorites, and Jebusites. See? The ark of the covenant of the Lord of all the earth will go into the Jordan ahead of you. Now then, choose twelve men from the tribes of Israel, one from each tribe. And as soon as the priests who carry the ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth, set foot in the Jordan, its waters flowing downstream will be cut off and stand up in a heap. Wow. God was promising to do great things. He's promising to miraculously cut off the waters, to drive out the nations in the land. God gave his plan, his will for them, and now he gives them his commands. To enter the promises and purposes of the Lord, the people first needed to consecrate or, or sanctify themselves. They needed to remove and abstain from anything that kept them from wholly focusing on their God. And believers, if we desire to see God move in our lives, we must follow his commands and put aside everything that distracts us from him. Now, we should always separate sin from our lives, but there are also times when we need to identify and put aside every other distraction so we can seek out God's direction in our situation. Every Israelite was to consecrate themselves. But then, I really want us to see this. Then a special command was given to the priests who would carry the Ark of the Covenant. Remember, the Ark, the Ark was showing that God was going before the people. It was going to go first. That meant that the priests carrying the Ark would go first before the rest of the Israelites. These priests were going to go to the overflowing banks of the Jordan River, and then they were going to step into it. Then, and only then, would the water be stopped and the people would be able to cross. So all the people were going to step out in faith this day, but the priests were going to step out in faith first. I bring this up because I think there are a lot of times in our lives as Christians when it's easy for us to say, you know, God, I'll share the gospel or I'll serve in that area that you're leading me to. I'll get on board with this new pursuit, this new ministry, this plan that you have for my life, and I'll do all these things when there are other people to do that with me. As long as I know that I'm in good company. Because, you know, it's easy to move a certain direction when other people are moving that way too. The Israelites, they were going to consecrate themselves, wait for the Lord to go before them, impart the water, and then they would, in faith, cross through the Jordan River. They were going to do that together. Thousands upon thousands of Israelites walking side by side in faith. And it's an encouragement, isn't it, to walk alongside fellow believers into God's will? That's a blessing, isn't it? But the priests who were carrying the ark, they were going to have a different experience than everyone else. They were going to consecrate themselves too, and then they were going to go while the waters still raged. You see, it's easy to step out in faith when you're moving alongside thousands of others. But what about when there's just a few of you? What about when you feel like you are all by yourself. That's when those first steps of faith can seem very, very difficult. A year or two ago, I read a book about a man who is most often 
known and referred to as Brother Andrew. By the way, I didn't read the book because he has a great name. It just worked out that way. But Brother Andrew realized decades ago that God, God was clearly calling him to smuggle Bibles into hard-to-reach places behind the Iron Curtain. He said that when he first felt this call, he thought it was ridiculous. He said that as far as he knew, there was not a single missionary working in that largest of all mission fields. And he thought to himself, what could I, one person without funds or organization, what could I do? But you know what? God's will was very, very clear for Andrew. So he stepped out in faith. And for years, he traveled alone, thousands of miles, from dangerous country to dangerous country, church to church, smuggling Bibles into difficult-to-reach places. And you know what? God was with him. He witnessed God's miracles as he smuggled these Bibles into dangerous places. And eventually, God allowed the work to grow. More believers came alongside him and joined in the work. But for a while, it was just Brother Andrew. And those first steps of faith were very lonely steps for him. But he took those steps all the same. Soon, in Joshua chapter 3, all of the Israelites were going to cross the Jordan River. But first, a small group of priests needed to go. They would take some of those lonely steps of faith. But let's be honest, Andrew. I mean, they had the Ark of the Covenant. I mean, God's presence was with them, right? Of course it was. That would have been an encouragement to them. It should be an encouragement for us too, believers, because isn't God's presence always with us? For those of us who have given our lives to Jesus Christ, the Bible's made it very clear that the Holy Spirit of God lives within us, that God is always with His people. And if His presence goes with us, then then should anything keep us from following His will in our lives? E even when those first steps of faith are going to be hard, even when they're lonely, should anything keep us from that? What is God calling you to in your life right now, believer? Maybe it is a new ministry. Maybe it's an area to serve Him. Maybe it's a career, a new career that's going to bring Him honor and glory. Maybe it's to share the gospel with someone. Maybe it's to separate yourself from some friends and co-workers who are becoming a corrupt influence in your life. But whatever He's calling you to, realize that even though those first steps might be lonely and might be difficult, realize that God's with you. And we need to take these first steps of faith if we want to see God do powerful things in our lives. The great thing is that when we pursue that which is clearly God's command and plan and will in our lives, we can be confident that he's moving before us. He's laying all the groundwork. God promised Israel great things and he was going to be with them, but now, now they needed to step out in faith. So let's look at verse 14. So when the people broke camp to cross the Jordan, the priests carrying the Ark of the Covenant went ahead of them. Now, the Jordan is at flood stage all during harvest. Yet as soon as the priests who carried the Ark reached the Jordan and their feet touched the water's edge, the water from upstream stopped flowing. It piled up in a heap a great distance away at a town called Adam, 
in the vicinity of Zarethan, while the water flowing down to the Sea of the Arabah, that is the Dead Sea, was completely cut off. So the people crossed over opposite Jericho. The priests who carried the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stopped in the middle of the Jordan and stood on dry ground while all Israel passed by until the whole nation had completed the crossing on dry ground. Israel had God's plans. They had His commands. All that was left was for the people and the priests to step into those plans. And when they did, they saw God's greatness. The priests moved in faith and they stepped into the Jordan. Miles away, the waters were cut off. And you know, a lot of people... They've tried to find the natural explanation. What, what natural phenomenon did God use to cause the waters to pile up in a heap? But you know what? Regardless of how God did this, this still remains. The people passed through on dry ground. They didn't pass through shallow water or muddy ground or in and around puddles. They passed through on dry ground, which means this was a miracle. This was God's power at work. And the only ones who got their feet wet were the priests. And even they walked out with dry sandals by the time it was all over. The priests were the first ones in and the last ones out. They walked in and stood there by faith and the nation followed in faith to cross through. But you see, Israel needed this. They needed all this. And greater miracles were going to come, but greater faith was going to be needed in the future too. This was just a precursor to what was coming. When the Israelites stood at the gates of their enemies, when they saw the size and the strength of their opponents in the promised land, they were going to be able to look back and remember the size and the strength of the Jordan River and the fact that their God cut off the waters and they walked through on dry ground. They were going to be able to remember that. Many times God allows us to go through a particular obstacle or a time of waiting and preparation for what comes next. God said that through this situation, they would know, they would know that he is among them and that he would certainly drive out the nations. And this morning, believers, the question for us is, do we know that God is among us? Do we know that God is with us in our lives to guide us? provide for us, to strengthen us, to carry out His will in our lives. Do we know that? Because it's easy, it's easy to nod our heads and say yes, but the real, the real truth is seen when that time comes in our lives to step out in faith and follow His will. That's a blessing when we can do that together as a body of believers, living as family. But sometimes what God calls us to requires us to step out alone. But believers, remember, we're never truly alone, are we? And because God's always with us. He goes before us. He guides us. And so as we faithfully follow him, I'm confident that this is the truth we will find in our lives, believers. It's that God is always present when we follow his plans. And I trust that we will find that in our lives. God is always present with us when we follow his plans. Believer, maybe you know what God is leading you to do in your life and in your situation right now. If you do, my encouragement to you from the example that we find in Joshua 3 is to be obedient to what the Lord is calling you to do, to trust that He is going to go before you and be with you. Maybe you're here and you don't know what God desires for you right now in your life. You don't know what He is trying to show you in this situation you are in. My encouragement to you would be 
continue to be obedient to the clear commands of Scripture and put aside everything else that might be distracting you and focus entirely on God and seek His direction out. But church, let's put our trust in God. Let's seek to follow His will in our lives and and here at First Baptist Church of Oxford. And let's do that together. But if you're here this morning and Jesus is not your Savior, please understand something before you go. Please understand that the God who parted the Jordan River and allowed the people to walk through on dry ground, the same God who piled those waters up in a heap wants to do something very powerful in your life. The same God who is there for the Israelites and performed miracles wants to save you. God wants to save you from an eternity separated from Him in hell. Let me explain very briefly to you what I mean. The Bible makes it very clear that all of us have sinned. We've all broken God's commands. It's what we do when we lie and cheat and steal and lust. And the Bible says the problem with those sins is they're separating us from God. And if they're not taken care of in this life, then we're going to face God's punishment at the end of this life. And the just punishment for sin is to be separated from Him forever in a place called hell. That's the hard truth. Really, it gets worse because the Bible says we can't make up for sin on our own. No amount of good works, going to church can change things. The good news is that in His great love for you and me and this whole world, God sent His Son, Jesus Christ, to this earth. And Jesus came and lived a perfect life, the thing we can't do. And at the end of that life, Jesus willingly died on the cross to take the wrath, the penalty, the punishment our sins deserve. And after Jesus died, He was buried. And three days later, He powerfully rose from the dead proving that he's no mere man. He's the son of God. He's the savior. He's the only one who can forgive us of our sins. And the Bible says that whoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. And friend, if you have never made that decision, we want to give you the opportunity to do that before you leave here today. The Bible says in Romans 10, 9, that if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. It's a wonderful thing of God's love and power when he saves a lost soul. And God wants to do that in your life today too. Let's pray together. Friend, if that's you, if you've never given your life to Jesus Christ, but you are ready to take that step, if that's where you're at, please know that you can follow me in a simple prayer like this one. You say, dear Jesus, I know that I am a sinner. I know I've broken your commands. But Jesus, I I know that you died on the cross for me. I believe you didn't stay in the grave, but that you rose from the dead. And Jesus, today I'm asking you to forgive me of all my sins. I'm asking you to save me. Jesus, today I'm giving you my life. Because I know you can do more with it than I can. Dear Heavenly Father, I pray that if anyone made that decision today, that they would let someone know before they leave this place. I pray that if there's anyone here that's still still on the fence, they're just not sure, they have more questions about what it means to be saved, I pray you would move in their heart to come and talk with me during this final invitation song. Father, thank you for all the ways you've demonstrated your faithfulness and your power towards your people. Not just in your word, but in our lives. For surely all of us could look back and see ways that you have been with us. But sometimes in our situations, we we forget. 
So open our eyes. Open our eyes to all the ways you've provided for us, gone before us, and been with us. I pray that when you do make your will clear in our situations, that you would help us to be faithful, to step into your will, to follow you, even if it's difficult, even if it seems lonely. I thank you for all those times when we can pursue your will together as a church. And I pray you would make your will known to this church day by day how we could reach this community for you. But Father, we pray that in all these things, you'd be glorified. Because that's what we want to chase after as a church. Your glory and your honor. Father, we love you. But every single day, you proved us over and over again that you love us more. We thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen.